The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join me in the longest chapter in the book of Genesis? Genesis chapter 24. As we begin to bring to a close our series on the life of Abraham this week and next week. And then we will turn our attention to the book of Hebrews. How is it that God works? How does he work today? How does he work in your life? It's a really important question for us to consider, mainly because your answer to that question informs how you live your life. It comes from the things that you believe about God. If God indeed exists, And if in his existence he is concerned with his creation and he actively involves and engages himself in the affairs of his creation, then we need to understand how it is that he works in our life, that informs how we live our lives. Do you believe that God works in miraculous ways? I think probably the answer to our question would be, yes, God works in miraculous ways. The scriptures show us that God works in miraculous ways. But does he only work in the miraculous? Is his sovereign hand only seen in things as miraculous as the sending of plagues or the partings of seas or the movings of mountains? Is God's affairs in his children's lives and his direction and guidance for them, is it only seen in visions, and in dreams. Does God work in miraculous ways? Yes, He works in miraculous ways. But does God only work in the miraculous? The answer to that question is no. In fact, God's working in guidance to His children in the miraculous is The exception and not the rule. It's the exception and not the rule. What what we have for us recorded in God's word, when you consider the totality of history, is just very, 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 very small snapshots of God's sovereign guidance in his people's lives. It's the highlights, if you 
will. And so regularly, as we interact with God's word, we see God doing these miraculous things. And we think that that's the main way that God works because that's the main way he's seen working in his word. But the reality is when we consider the totality of our lives and the totality of history, God working in the miraculous is the exception and not the rule. God most normally works in the everyday affairs of his creation. And God is sovereign over the affairs of men and women, even in their everyday, mundane, normal actions. God is working to fulfill His purposes and His promises. This is what we see in the text this morning. It's a story of how God supplies to Isaac a wife. It's a, it's a long chapter. Instead of reading a, the chapter like we normally do and then preaching through it, we will read it as we preach through it just for the sake of time. And we will do so as we follow through what are essentially four parts or four acts of this unfolding narrative. Sort of guide us through the text together. So here's the, the four parts of the story that we will focus on. And in each part, we'll learn some truth for our lives. The first is the concern of a saint. The second is the commitment of a servant. The third is the character of a spouse. And the fourth is the comfort of a son. The concern of a saint, the commitment of a servant, the character of a spouse, the comfort of a son. Chapter 24 begins with Abraham old. And you think like I think. He's been old the whole time, so he's really old. And in his old age, he has a concern. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for the son, for my son Isaac. This great saint, Abraham, has a concern. This concern is over his son, this promised son, Isaac, that Isaac would have a wife. At this point, Isaac is in his early 40s and is yet to be married. And Abraham has a concern that Isaac would find and marry a Canaanite wife, a wife from Canaan. Now, this isn't an argument or 
a scripture or a text about racial intermarriage. That's not the, the point of Abraham's concern. And we can't sort of take these verses and build some sort of ethical argument towards those ends. That is not Abraham's concern. Abraham's concern here is not necessarily one drawn on, on racial lines. But it is exactly what we just read. That the Canaanites will be the enemies of, of God's people. And they are considered pagan people. And so Abraham wants Isaac to have a wife from his own people that would follow after his own God and would continue this line of blessing. The Canaanites were pagans. They, they represent in the Old Testament unbelievers, enemies of God. This sort of originates after the flood when Noah curses Canaan, the son. He curses him. And so they would be a cursed, pagan, unbelieving people. And Abraham does not want that for his son or for the line of the promise. Remember, this is not just any marriage. This is a marriage that would eventually bring about the Messiah, the promised offspring to bless the whole world. Abraham has this concern for his son, and so he calls his servant. Now notice here, this entire chapter, 67 verses, the longest of all the chapters in Genesis, revolve around primarily this one man. And through this whole chapter, we never learn his name. It's never given to us. We only know him as a servant. Now, there is some speculation as to who this man is, but we do not know. But it is fun to speculate. And most commentators believe that this man is Eleazar. If you will remember, Abraham had a concern earlier in this story. And that concern was that all that he had would be left to his chief servant, Eleazar. And so many believe that this man is Eleazar. But we do not know who this man is. And I believe that that is intentional. It's intentional that we do not know who this servant is. The Holy Spirit certainly could have inspired Moses to write for us the name of who this servant is. But God chooses not to reveal that to us. And I think there's an important lesson in that for us. That this servant represents a normal person in history, right? I mean, we can look and we can spend all of these months together looking at the life of Abraham and we can see the sovereign hand of God's blessing in Abraham's life. But we can say, I am no Abraham. You are not an Abraham. I am not an Abraham. I am a normal person. You are a normal person. 
And so we can look into the scriptures and we can see these, these towering figures like Abraham, and like David, and like Isaiah, and Joshua. And we can see all of these, these towering figures like Moses that have in a, in a special way the hand of God's anointing on them and God using them in great and miraculous ways for His purposes. And we can sit back and say, well, who am I? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm a nameless servant. And what do we learn in this chapter? We learn that God is just as concerned with the nameless servants. God is just as concerned with you and your life. And God is just as concerned with me and my life as he is with Abraham and his. This is a regular, normal, everyday servant. Nameless, nameless. God had blessed and guided Abraham. And now God is blessing and guiding the normal, unnamed servant. So Abraham calls this man to him to swear an oath that he would not choose a wife from Canaan, but would instead return back to his people to find a wife. And there's this strange um, oath sealing practice that happens here, right? Where this servant puts his hand under Abraham's thigh. I would love to know fully what that is about. I couldn't really find a whole lot, honestly, that sort of gave a lot of, of clarity about what it is and why it is that this oath was sworn in this manner. I think there are some things that we can learn from it and certainly infer from it. One thing is most certainly clear that there were probably some cultural norms in their days that are not cultural norms in, in our days. But it's also emblematic of an intimate personal commitment, an oath between two people. And so this servant comes to his master and swears this concern, this, this, this oath with Abraham over his concern to go and to get a wife for Isaac from his people. But this servant also has a concern, doesn't he? In verse 5, the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Well, what if she doesn't want to come? What if I go there and I find a, a wife for him, but she is unwilling to come? Do, do I then come back and get Isaac and take him there? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. Now, there's a whole lot built up in those words. There's a concern here. Isaac cannot leave the promised land. He cannot. And he does not. This promised land is his God-given home. And there is no going back to where they once came from. So Abraham's concerned, what if he goes back and, you know, women have some power over some men. And what if he stays there? No, he cannot go. He cannot go. And then listen to Abraham's word. 
the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my son from there. Now this is interesting. In this story, we never see an angel go before. We don't see it. That doesn't mean God's not working. God works in the unseen. God will take care of this. That's, that's, that's Abraham's faith. He will do this and he will see to it. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son there. That's it. Those words. The last recorded words of Abraham in the Bible. We do not hear him speak again. Isn't it interesting? When you compare these words... Words of faith. God will see to it. God will do this. He will. Words of sure confidence in a faithful God contrasted against the very first recorded words of Abraham. In Genesis 15, I know it's been a while. The very first thing Abraham says in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 2, but Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. What do we see in these decades recorded in these chapters before us? We see this man, Abraham, go from the very first words given, words of doubt, to these last words given, words of faith. What do we see? We see a man sanctified. His faith and his trust built in a faithful God. And what else do we see? We see that this faith in Abraham hasn't just stayed in Abraham, but this faith has spread. And now this servant of Abraham is a faith-filled man. As we witness the commitment of a servant. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down beside the city well of water at the time of evening, the time when young women go out to draw water. You're going to go find a young wife or a young man this is where you want to be. This is where they're all headed to. This is the time they're all going there to draw water for the evening. And then this unnamed servant prays a faith-filled prayer. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show Steadfast love, hesed is the Hebrew word there, covenant love to my master Abraham. God, would you be 
faithful, showing covenant love, steadfast love to Abraham. As you have in the past, will you now? And do so by granting me success that I would find a wife. Behold, I'm I'm standing by this spring of water and the daughters of the men in the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have sown, shown steadfast covenant love to my master. The servant prays. He prays a, a faith-filled prayer. This is a man of faith. This is a humble prayer. It's a prayer of humility. God, I don't, I don't want to come and, and choose and pick just anybody. God, I want you to order my steps. I want you to be the one who guides. I trust you, God, in this matter. It's a humble prayer. It's a specific prayer, isn't it? It's a specific prayer. I'm I'm struck by by this servant. God, I'm here by this spring next to this well here in the evening. In a minute, there's going to be some young ladies coming down here to draw some water, God. I mean, he's specific. I'm, I'm pretty sure God knew where he was. He didn't need this servant to tell him. The servant's very specific in his prayer. And I'm going to walk up to one. I'm going to ask her to draw me some water. And Lord, if you would just have her to say, here, take and drink and let me water your camels as well, I would appreciate it because then I would, would know. I would know. These are specific requests. So God is a big enough God to handle our specific requests. In the everyday, ordinary, to pray specifically, God, would you order my steps today as I go to work, engage with this person, go to this place, do these things? Would you move and guide and direct in such a way that it's clear to me where you are leading and what you are doing? This is a small thing that he asks to give him a drink of water, to offer him a drink would have been a small thing and it would have absolutely been an expected thing. In the Middle East, hospitality is very high. And this would have been a common hospitable practice for a person. You're at a well and this is the desert and you're thirsty and you have nothing to get the water with. For someone to offer you a drink would have been common. It's a small thing. But the watering of these camels, not so much of a small thing. So we know that there are ten camels. Ten camels. Did you know a camel drinks between 25 and 30 gallons of water? A jar in their day held around three gallons of water. So you figure, you do the math, 10 camels at 30 gallons, 
at a jar that held three gallons. That's a hundred times. That's a hundred times that this young lady would have to lower down and pull up three gallons of water. Three gallons, three gallons of water, is that light? No. We're making two trips from the garage upstairs with three gallons of water from the grocery store. Eight pounds a gallon. This is a big undertaking that he's asking that this lady would do. This is his faith-filled prayer. And then look at the timing of God in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Before he had even finished praying to God, God was already moving. And out comes the granddaughter of Abraham's brother. What was Abraham's request? Go and find for my son a wife from my kindred. The family origin is is here. Verse 16, the young woman was very attractive in appearance. Sounds like Sarah. A maiden who had known no man. She was beautiful. She was pure. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. And then we see the character of a spouse in verse 18. And she said, Drink, my Lord. What do we learn? We learn that she is beautiful, that she is hospitable, that she is kind, that she is respectful. Drink, my Lord. You know, I'm struck with she's doing what she does every day. With no expectation that anything miraculous is about to take place. This is, this is just an everyday thing. No clue of how God's working in the background. How God's ordering the pieces to affect her life, but not only her life, but all of history to bring about the very Son of God Himself. She has no clue. You know, everyday life has significance. Everyday life. She didn't know that her kindness to this man will be used to bring her to the promised land and graft her into the line of Jesus Himself. Everyday kindness, generosity, and hospitality goes a long way, and you never know how God may use it. You never know who God may be working in using you in a mundane, everyday experience. She said, drink, my Lord, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. This is over and above And it is exactly what the servant had asked. And so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all of his camels a hundred trips. 
And the man gazed, slack-jawed, at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. What's this servant's response to this faithfulness of God? It is the response of praise. He bowed his head. Now, there is a word that is used multiple, multiple, multiple times in the Hebrew throughout this chapter. And it is the word Barak. And it means blessed. It's used multiple times. It's used multiple times on its own in the narrative and then multiple times in the retelling of the narrative within the narrative. Does that make sense? So they just sort of compound because this story is going to be told over and over again. It's used in verse 1, the word blessed. It's used, same word, used verse 11 in the camel's kneeling. Now you may say, what is, how does the camel's kneeling be blessed? It is to kneel down before. It's used in verse 27 in blessed be the Lord. It's used in verse 21, blessed of God. Over and over and over and over again, you see this word blessed rise to the surface. Why? As I, as I read through this, I thought, why is this, this being used over and over and over again? I, I, you always want to pay attention to, to repetition. And it is because this is a story of the faithful covenant blessings of God in the everyday. And the call for our response to His blessings towards us to be our offering Him in thanksgiving, worship in the form of blessing His name. As God blesses us, we are called then to return to Him blessing. Not in the way that He blesses us. God blesses us in, in, the, in the giving of things, in the providing of things. We don't, who are we to give God anything? Who are we to provide God? And is it possible to provide to God anything? He has everything. Impossible. It's not that kind of blessing. Not that kind of blessing. Jacob helped me. Me and Jacob got to hear some pretty incredible preaching uh, earlier this week at the state convention by Jacob's preaching professor. Um, I'm a little jealous by that. Um, huh? Oh, it worked on you, brother. Um, to the God who owns everything and owes nothing, how do we, who own nothing and owe everything, respond? 
We respond in thanksgiving. Blessing his name. That's what you see. God, the blessings of God. Then taken and returned back in worship, blessing his name. That's what this servant does here. God has blessed him. And so now the servant bows his head and blesses God back. Verse 27, and blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinmen. There is sure confidence that it is God who has guided him here. Listen, church, God still guides. And God can guide. God does guide. Psalm 37, 23 and 24, the steps of the man of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God still guides. If we're humble enough to seek him in prayer and through his word. It's funny, we complain. I don't know if how God is leading. I don't know what God's calling me to. I don't know what's next. We never even stop and ask him, seek him. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about all of these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And then we learn a little something about Laban. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. Now there's some foreshadowing here. This is the first time we meet Laban. This isn't the last time we meet Laban. Rebekah, she's awesome. She's great. She's kind. She's generous. She's hospitable. She's beautiful. She's faith-filled. Laban, he's not good. He's greedy. He's unethical. He tricks Jacob. You learn a lot about Laban. Laban sees the gold. Ooh, she's got some rings. She's got some bracelets. I got to go find this guy. Maybe he has something for me. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Same word. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before them, him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, and then he retells this story. I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. 
He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my wife's, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take from my wife, take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and to take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from the clan of my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. If they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by a spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to drink water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give you your camels to drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and I worshiped the Lord and I blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. He retells the story of all that God has done, this evidence that God is the one who has ordered his steps, who he is. They would have known Abraham. They would have known his name. They would have heard And so then he asks the question, doesn't he, in verse 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me. That I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So are you going to show steadfast love to Abraham by sending Rebekah? Well, these family members then acknowledge the hand of God and they submit to it. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. It's God who is the one that has done it. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. There's nothing we have to say. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother Laban and to her mother costly ornaments. They had an ornament swap. See, that's why we're doing one. And he and the men who were with him, ate and drank. And they spent the night there. And when they arose the next morning, he said, send me away to my master. 
And her brother Laban and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. Why the change of heart? Well, we don't know. We do know about Laban, though. Probably let her stay here ten days. So that we can get a little more money out of you and out of Abraham. We see that a little later on in Genesis. But the servant said to him, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. I will go. I mean, can you imagine Rebecca here? What faith. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. If only they knew. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Laharoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the, ending, towards the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered her face. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then we see the comfort of a son. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Do you know that's the first mention of marital love in the Bible? He loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. A godly wife is a great comfort. I sort of want to preach another sermon. And by God's grace, it would be one of experience. My wife's not in here, so you can't claim that I'm saying it just because she's sitting there. But a godly wife is great comfort. You know, it, it, it had to have been amazing. It had to have been an incredible blessing to have Abraham as a father. Can you imagine? I mean, we say Father Abraham. Literally, Father Abraham. And Isaac, the cherished, promised son. What incredible blessings. 
It had to have been to be in that relationship with Abraham. But nothing, no earthly relationships compare to the relationship between a husband and a godly wife. It is the greatest of life's blessings. The faithfulness of God is fulfilled in a godly marriage. A marriage grounded in faith and built on love. My, how God uses it in our lives. What a reminder for us to cherish our spouses and to love them deeply and to be for them godly extensions of the gospel. This is what the New Testament tells us, that the marriage relationship is the picture of the gospel. Displaying to the world God's hesed, his loving kindness, covenant love towards us. It's what marriage is. It's covenant love. It's loving kindness. It's endurance. It's patience. It's forgiveness. It's forbearance. It's continuing on in faithful covenant love. I have sworn an oath to you and the oath I will keep. The faithfulness of God is fulfilled in a godly marriage. The faithfulness of God is seen in the faith-filled actions of a nameless servant. That God is faithful to keep His promises. And He works in everyday life to do it. Not just in the miraculous. There's no sea parted here. There's no disease miraculously cured. There's no dead raised. It's just a humble indescript, normal servant seeking the Lord and God being faithful to His promises every day. The question is, will we see the sovereign hand of God in the everyday? And will we respond to His blessings to us by offering Him worship with a thankful heart, blessing His name for His loving kindness towards us. Father, how good it is to know that You love us and that You care for us, not because we are somehow great. We are not great. Not because we're kings. Not because we're queens. Not because we're famous. Not because we're rich. Not because we're powerful. Not because we're well known. We're a bunch of nobodies. Yet you still love. And you still care for us. 
not because of our goodness, but because of your grace. Not for our own fame, but for the glory of your name. You love us. And you order our steps by your sovereign hand to accomplish your purposes. You are with us in our homes. You are with us in our cars. You are with us in our workplaces. You are with us where we go to shop. You are with us in every encounter. May we seek your sovereign direction, walking in your way, trusting in your said, your covenant loving kindness towards us. And may we respond to your many blessings by blessing your name and thanksgiving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.